0: Good to see you all tonight. Let's go and turn our Bibles to First Corinthians chapter 9. Now, as you're turning there, is God good or what? Now, you, you like that song that we're singing there? He's never going to let you down? Now, aren't you blessed that you're saved? Aren't you blessed that you're going to heaven? Aren't you blessed that you're not the crazy, drunk, alcoholic nut case you were? I'm setting you up. So, if you're so blessed then how can we not get out and tell people about Jesus? Is that the truth? Now, this is, this is Thursday night church, so you guys can handle this message. It's kind of a modified um, version of what I did for the men's study the other night. But I got to tell you, I was so convicted by this study. Because even as a pastor, you know, now, going out on the mission field is, is cool. Because you can go out in the mission field, you're so anointed, and it's just like, you, you wanna, you'll talk to trees to get them saved serious. And yet, when it comes down to like your next door neighbor, maybe the person you know that you work with, I mean, it's, just, it's tough. It's hard, isn't it? You know, I got to tell you this story. There's a guy, I work out there at uh, 24 Hour on um, um, Round Beach Boulevard. And I've probably told this story before. There's a guy there, his name is Alan. And he comes to this church at times. The dude preaches at this gym. He gets up on the elliptical machine and it's his church. It really is. I'm serious. I mean, I'm ashamed of myself when I see this guy. You know, I'll wear my God Jesus shirt, you know, and, but my, my deal of going to the gym is to get in and get out. This guy, he's retired, and so he uses the gym as his church. I'm serious. He preaches Jesus. I mean, and it's not like he brings his Bible in and beats people up. I mean, he's telling them about the love of Jesus. He tells everybody in that gym that he loves them. I'm like, I'm not kidding. That's not made up. Love you, love you. He'll yell across, hey, love you over there, love you, Jesus. I'm like, all right, let me go get back to the gym here. But um. anyhow, tonight, running to win, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And of course, realizing what's going on in this world, and we we know this, um, man, we got to get this message out if it is so good. If you're so blessed, if you're so, even like David said, my cup is running over. Why is it that we have such a hard time? And I can see Dennis back. Dennis is doing backflips right now. He wishes he could get up here and do the go tell it on the mountain <laughs> deal. Go tell it. Go tell it. But I'm telling you, in this passage here, the Apostle Paul just, you, you, you are so convinced that this guy lives for one thing, to tell people about Jesus. So let's read the passage, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, and pick up on the words here that he says, for though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became a Jew as a Jew that I might win Jews, to those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those under the law. To those who are without the law, the Gentiles, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Now do you not know that Those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others... I myself should become disqualified. And in our passage, Paul, no doubt, he shows just how far he's willing to go to save the lost. He might win the more. Just how hard he's willing to work. What he's willing to to set aside, to deny himself. What he's willing to do that he might finish the race without being disqualified. And it is you see here that Paul got the Great Commission. I mean, he got it. But the interesting thing about it is he didn't get it from Matthew. Who did he get it from? Okay, turn with me to Acts chapter 26. I see you failed that test, so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna learn you. He got it from Jesus, Acts 26. Okay, we're going to get a little bit more of the heart of the Apostle Paul here. This is Paul's testimony. Okay? Now, you remember he meets Jesus on where? The road to Damascus. Acts 26, he's there before King Agrippa. He's witnessing. He's preaching his heart out. He's going to die. He gets out of prison after this, but he knows that eventually it's going to happen. But Acts 26, verse 12. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, now, of course, he thought he was doing God a big favor here. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven. I like that. I saw the light. I mean, it's probably where he got that song. I saw the light. From heaven, brighter than the sun. Imagine that. That's a pretty bright light. Shining around me and all those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That's that ultimate come to Jesus meeting right there. Here it is, though, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things that you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And an inheritance among those who are sanctified by mean faith. This is Jesus speaking to Paul, and Paul's now sharing that testimony with not only King Agrippa but with a ton of people there. And they believe it was at Caesarea Philippi in the uh, the big auditorium that we were actually there last year in Israel. So cool to think that Paul was up on that stage just preaching away, going for it. He says, "Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision." "...but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in a temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer... That he would be the first to rise from the dead and will proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. He, He preaches the gospel to them. And that's what the gospel is right then and there. So, here, the Apostle Paul, letting us know that ultimately for him and for us, I believe, that it wasn't about this life. It wasn't about anything to do with this life. It was about the life to come And making sure and getting as many to get to that place as possible. Because he wanted that imperishable crown. The one he would receive from from God in heaven. The crown of righteousness that would come to all who have loved his appearing. So the question tonight though, is Paul the exception or is he the rule? Because a lot of people say, well you know what, this whole thing about sharing Jesus with people, that's for... You know, that's for the pastors, and that's for like a Greg Laurie guy, and that's for, you know, guys like Alan at the gym there, you know? And I don't think so. Because Paul said what to the Corinthians? He says, imitate me as I who? As I imitate Jesus. Are we to pattern our life after Paul's when it comes to the desire to share the gospel with the lost? If you ever asked God why you got saved? Why did God appear to you? As, as he did to, to Paul. Now, granted, he didn't appear. It wasn't some big, bright light, I don't think, for most of us, knocking us to the ground, hearing Jesus' voice. But he did, he did save you. I mean, we're saved here tonight, right? It's more, more or less a believer's meeting tonight. You're saved. Something happened. Something happened in your life. I mean, he appeared to you for a reason. Sad thing within the church, though, oftentimes, we think that we got saved for what? For us. We got saved so we could get all cleaned up and we could get all kumbaya and all feeling good about life and everything. And, and then we get, you know, our house and we all these things and we're all set up. We're ready to go. We got a 401k's retirement plan. And I'm just going to slow down and die and slowly go to heaven. Man, I got it all made. And you know, there are churches out there that will teach you the exact same thing. That it is all about you. And all you got to do is have faith. And all you got to do is put money in that, that offering because the more money you put in that offering... The more money that we're all going to have around here, if you know what I mean. And you're going to be blessed, and it's all about you, and what you're going to get out of this thing called Christianity. I don't read that anywhere in the Bible, especially when you look at guys like Paul. Let me read this thing to you. I got this out of um, an old Bible of mine. You might have heard it before. It's called The Immortal Soul. It says, There is no trouble too great, no humiliation too deep, no suffering too severe, no love too strong, No labor too hard, no expense too great, but that it is worth it if it is spent in the effort to win a soul. You agree with that? God loves the soul more than all creation. He fashioned it after his own image. He made it like unto himself. Every soul has departed from God and gone astray, and God has bought the soul back again with the price. That price was in and through and by Jesus Christ. God loves the soul with an everlasting love. Sounds like something the Apostle Paul wrote, huh? He could have written that with the the way that he thought about the loss and what he thought about God's calling was. And you can't really argue with Paul in that. In light of what God did in sending Jesus, in light of what God allowed Jesus to go through, what he sent him, what Jesus ultimately ended up doing for us, I mean, it was no walk in the park, what happened with Jesus, as we know. And if, and if that's what God sent his son for, to die for our sins, to die a horrible death, man, I think there's a little bit more to this than just coming to church and hanging out and getting fat. In the Word. Getting fat in the Word. Let me read some stats to you. I was making sure you are paying attention there. A majority of churchgoers in the U.S. believe that it's essential to share their faith with non-believers. But a large number of those are not doing so. According to a recent study, in American Protestants conducted by LifeWay Research. When it comes to discipleship, churchgoers struggle most with sharing Christ with non-Christians. A study found that 80% of those who attend church one or more times a month, nominal believe they, are, they have a personal responsibility to share their faith, but 61%, 61 out of the 80, have not told another person about how to become a Christian in the previous six months, or even at all, for that matter. The research project focused on measuring spirit, spiritual maturity in individuals and revealed eight biblical attributes consistently evident in the lives of maturing believers. Of those eight, sharing Christ, has the lowest average score among Protestant church attendees. There's some stats from the Acts Evangelism. Claim that 95% of all Christians have never won a soul to Christ. 80% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. Less than 2% are involved in the ministry of evangelism. And 71% do not give towards the financing of the Great Commission. And that's none of us, right? Whoa. That's none of us, right? Okay, so you're already convicted, which is good. So you're, we're on the right track here. Very convicting, to say the least. But the question is, are we content to leave it this way? Are we? Is the church content to leave it this way? Sad to say it is. You know, we're considered an evangelical church, right? Is there any other kind of church? And yet that's what we're considered. Why are we called an evangelical church? Because we believe in going out and telling people about Jesus, that it might be something that we're supposed to do according to what somebody said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, to go out and make disciples. Man, to tell people about Jesus, what he's done. For me, that's really what it's all about. A lot of times I think we think we got to have all this, oh, all this knowledge. I mean, you know what? You were blind, but now you see. You were lost, now you're found. I can't explain it. I can't tell you all the reasons why behind that. But I'll tell you what, I know what my life was and I know what my life is now and I know I had no control over doing it because I tried on my own for how long? And we can all say amen to that because we're a lot of us in the same place. So, why are we content? Remember, what, what did Pastor Jeff say a couple Sundays ago? Remember? Lead one person. That was a challenge to Christ. One person... For the year, imagine if we did that. It's like that almond commercial, isn't it? Just one can a week, something like that. Just one Christian a year. Imagine that. What would happen? Are we content to let it go, or are we so deceived by the enemy that we're, we're in this life in America, and and he has us so concerned about ourselves as Christians, so concerned about our own life. Making sure that we're good, I got it. I got everything I need in this life. I'm all. I'm all taken care of, you know. And, and yeah, I'll, I'll give a little bit of money to the church, as long as I'm okay. And I, I was talking like to the men the other night. So it's like it's like the enemy has us in this bubble. Not just the United States, but the world. And it's almost as if he's he's got us so focused on the things of this life, the things of this world, the things that we're bombarded with through advertising and everything about what you need to live. And you can't get by without it. You're going to die without having five cars in your, your driveway. You're going you're to die. Or 25 pairs of shoes. Or seven coach purses. I mean, I know I'm stepping on toes. So I'm right there with you. Because it's like, we're so consumed with it, aren't we? I think the enemy, really, it's like we are actually under more control of the devil when it comes to witnessing or sharing our faith or or wanting people to come to the Lord than we are of God. It's like the devil has us more control. Because really, if he can keep you content, if he can keep you okay, okay, you know, all right, you, you stepped across the line, you're going to heaven, all right, he blew it there, shucks, you got away. But if he can keep you nice, What's that saying? Happy, sassy, something like that. Content. I wasn't going to say that other word there because it wasn't nice. <laughs> if he can keep us in that place, that's exactly what he's doing. It's like, ah, oh, no, no, no. I can remember when at the Nazarene church and, it, you know, bless that church. I loved that church, got saved at that church. But, you know, there was this group that just kind of um, overran the church almost. We call ourselves the new breed. Honestly, God, we were so religiously prideful. <laughs> we thought we had it all together. But the thing was that, that we got saved, and it was radical salvation. And we're there. It's like we were completely out of place in that Nazarene church because the average age there was like about 65. I was only 30 years old when I got there. And so in this, we we're so excited. We want to tell everybody about Jesus. Man, anything we could do and everything. And yet we are actually like, can you guys kind of? take it down a notch or two, kind of a deal. Seriously, it, was, it wasn't good. They wanted to keep their potlucks, Sunday church, everybody happy. Nobody experienced any spiritual warfare because when you start stepping out for Jesus, guess what? Bam! A little side note, when we ask you to pray for the mission trips, you gotta, and I know that you know this, because it's Just to get out there is so much spiritual warfare. Just to get on that plane, all the train, it's just amazing. And so they didn't want any of that, so they just kind of like shoot us out of the church. Sad thing is, that church has died with all those people in that church. Down to almost nothing. Sad. We're content. To stay. And then, then when we think of the great men of the Bible, this is still an introduction, by the way. We'll get to the text eventually. Think of the great men in the Bible. Think about this, though, because you've got to try to make sense. Because is there a balance or is there no balance? Is, you know, what, is, what is the deal here? Think of the great men in the Bible and what they went through. Why did God allow that to happen? Guys that were in God's perfect will, Jeremiah, God called them, preached to the nation. Get them all saved. And what happens to Jeremiah? Jerusalem, everything falls apart. He's thrown in jail. I don't know how many times. He he tries to throw in the towel. He can't. God calls him back. But God says, sorry. That's the way it goes. They're going down, and you're going with them. Or Ezekiel. Ezekiel. This bums me out. Ezekiel, he answered God's call. He's doing what God wants him to do. But then what does God do? I'm taking your wife. Wait a minute. That's not fair. It's not right. And then the way he was treated. How about Joseph? Joseph is an incredible story. This poor kid boasting a little bit about his dream. Yeah, okay. Probably shouldn't have done that. But then he gets tossed in the pit, sold to Egypt. Goes, and, he, and he's in jail for like 13 years. Crazy. All though because God is using him to do what? To save the people. All these things happen. And the one that kills me the most, besides the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul couldn't go nowhere preaching the gospel without getting whooped on, beat on, stoned, left for dead. But the one that kills me the most is John the Baptist. Jesus said this about John the Baptist. Among those born of women, not a greater prophet than John. Jesus said that. And then what happens next? he got about that much shorter. That one, to me, just like, God, can you... I mean, at least that the guy die of old age or, you know, whatever, but to be beheaded? And see, this can only make sense to me, and maybe to you, that when we look at life from this perspective, from what they're doing, that, that the perspective of the fact that we're not citizens of this earth. We're citizens of Where? And we're here as ambassadors. Once we got saved, it's like we we, tra- we changed. You, you gave your passport up. You got a new passport. You're not of this country anymore. Now you're sent from heaven down to be a witness, an ambassador. And it's not about this earth. It's about getting people kind of like in the transporter room there on Star Trek. And get them in a transporter room so they can get to heaven. In a discussion. That's what it's all about. Well, no, it's not. It's all about this world, this life. My vacations, my retirement, my family, my kids. And don't get me wrong, that's part of the life that we have here, but it can't be all there is, especially in light of what God does to those who are following. It goes like this, C.T. Studd. guy was unbelievable. says this, we've only got one life to live and soon it will pass. Only that which, has, which was done for Jesus will last. And that which is done has much to do with saving souls. Why? Because it's the reason that Jesus came. Do you read in Scripture anywhere about why Jesus came other than to what? Seek and save that which is lost, to give his life a ransom for many, right? To pay the price for my sins, to die on the cross, to redeem me, and then to prepare me for the place that he went to prepare which is heaven that's the whole reason he came for I mean he didn't even have a house all all these sayings that that we look at that man I got to have on this earth so now to the study running to win after I've bummed you all out and convicted you but now there's the exciting part what does it mean to run to win Starting off, number one, running to win the lost, verse 19. Paul now explains what he would do in order to be able to save as many as he could, and he's encouraging the Corinthian believers here to act in such a way as not to stumble or hinder, stumble their brothers or hinder the gospel in any way. Kind of the context of chapter 8 and 9 and moving on to 10. And so Paul here, he talks to him about how he was going to do it, how he himself was going to win the lost. Verse 19 says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And what Paul was referring to was the fact that he had, as an apostle, the right to be paid for what he was doing. But Paul, in an effort not to hinder the gospel, not to stumble somebody thinking, well, you're getting paid for this, ah, I can't believe that Jesus stuff. He said, no way. Uh Uh-uh, I'm not even doing it. Now, he was accused by the Corinthians of actually taking all these liberties upon himself that he never did. But he says, no, I am free. I don't owe anybody anything. I make my own money. I make tents. I repair tents. I don't take money from the church to take care of me. So he's free, but even though he is free, he says... I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. A servant. So he served them. He laid aside his personal freedoms that he might win. And ultimately to be an example of Jesus. Because what did Jesus say about himself? The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. And this is something that every Christian has to keep at the forefront of their heart and their life. That we are to serve. Imagine if you went and served your heathen boss instead of spitting in his coffee or something like that when his back is turned. Just a little illustration for you. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. If you served him, if you served your neighbors, if you served your heathen family member, you need to keep that. But also, those in ministry, sad to say that oftentimes in the church, the pastors, those in leadership, think the church is there to serve them. Absolutely not. So he served them to win them. And then secondly, verse 20, he didn't reject them. I love this. And to the Jews I became a, as a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those under the law, in the same sense, as under the law, that I might win those under the law. See, Paul could easily have been offended by these Jews, right? I mean, they're the ones that just whooped on him big time. Every time he'd come out of the synagogue, they were waiting for him. Ha, 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 take him down, beat him up, stone him, drag him out. But Paul decided that he would be as Jewish as necessary to win them within scriptural limits, though. And that's the key. That's something you got to think about in the back of your mind. You know, when in Rome do as the Romans, people can take that to an extreme. Like, well, I'm supposed to witness these brothers, so guess what? I'm going to the Super Bowl party next Sunday. I'm cracking beers for these dudes, drinking down the Coronas, because I'm going to be a witness. I got my Got Jesus shirt on. And, and now the one, the big one that people are, you know they're dealing with this deal is the whole thing about legalized marijuana. Hey, it's legal. Drinking alcohol is legal. I got freedom, right? <laughs> Some are thinking about it, man. Some are just, devil's playing with them. So, just this little side note, within scriptural limits, he didn't let their customs or traditions offend him, and he wasn't threatened by their Jewishness. He flowed with it. He flowed with it. He knew all that stuff. It didn't move him. He wasn't offended by it. Hey, you want to celebrate all the festivals? I'm right there with you. Because all of them pointed to who? who? Anyhow. Jesus. So, he didn't reject them. Thirdly, verse 21, he associated with them. So cool. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. Remember, he's Jewish. And to associate with the Gentile? Mm Mm-mm. But that was the whole reason God took Paul from that and sent him to the Gentiles. Blow everybody's mind. Messed them all up. He associated with them. See, Paul wanted to meet with them right where they were at. It doesn't mean that that Paul didn't obey God's law, but he was acting under Christ's law, the law of love, the law of liberty. So really, it means for us to not be overly religious, because we can do that around Gentile people or heathen people, because we're Gentiles ourselves. Remember years ago, (laughs) uh, my sister-in-law was to have a 30th birthday party for my brother-in-law. So he was turning 30. So where do you think she decides she wants to have this birthday party at? Well, she has it at Baja Sharkey's down there on Pier Avenue. This is a while back, and I'm telling you I hadn't been in a bar in a long time, and the first thing I said in my pharisaical heart was, I ain't going. Huh, this guy doesn't go in bars. Are you kidding me? I was doing the Peter thing. Not sold, Lord. I've never eaten nothing. I'm not going, huh? mm it's, it's a gift. Christians just don't go in bars especially that one. So praying about it, and I kind of heard the Lord say, don't be a Pharisee. Just go be a witness and just leave when they start getting drunk because that's what was going to happen. And the cool thing about it was I was able, because he was turning 30, I was able to share with him and talk to him about the fact that, all right, it's your turn. I was 30 when I got saved. So God used it in his life and gave me an opportunity to witness. And, of course, I was out of there before the party got out of hand. Then I remember when I first got saved. And, and, I mean, it was a radical salvation. And I was, you know, in the grocery industry and had a lot, a lot of party buddies. And I remember going to a co-worker's party. It's probably, I don't know, six months after I got saved. And actually Cheryl was with me, too. So we go to this party. It's all these parties people I know and everything, of course, I'm not drinking. I got it all under control, right? And so I looking down my pharisaical nose at all them and their drinking party, and I started witnessing and talking to them about Jesus and this and that. And, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, I don't drink anymore, man. I got saved. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into Jesus now and everything. And I remember one of the guys there, loved the guy. He's a great guy, Ernie. <laughs> he looks at me, and he's just mocking me. He goes, Get into religion, man. You know, it's kind of like, so what did I say to him? What do you think I said? It's not religion. It's a relationship. You know, I got this badge on, man. It's a relationship. That's, I know he said that. Then I turned around and left as a Pharisee. Just kind of walked out. on It's not religion. It's a relationship pharisaical. See, Paul wasn't afraid to associate with them, because remember, even Jesus ate with who? He ate with sinners. He didn't reject them. He associated with them. Number four, he had compassion on, verse 22. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. Now, what he's referring to here is that there were those who struggled. You you read this in chapter 8. They struggled with eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. Now, those who had been Christians for a long time realized it was no big deal. There's The idol's nothing. It's, it's, it's all it's not real gods, nothing like that. And yet, the meat that would be sacrificed, that would be sold to the butcher, and you head over to the person's house, like having a barbecue kind of thing, and they talk about, wow, this meat's so good. Where'd you get it? Oh, we got it from Temple of Aphrodite up there. And the poor, brand new Christian, so to speak, was completely like, Oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're eating. And What's wrong? Suck it up, man. It's just just meat. No big deal. Stumbling. Stumbling. And Paul wouldn't do that. He says there, hey, if eating meat stumbles my brother, I'm not eating meat again. I told the men, that ain't going to happen with me. I mean, ribeye, got to have a (laughs) ribeye. But something else, like fish, okay, I can give up fish. I'll give up fish for you, not a ribeye. But he had compassion. See, he didn't rub their weak consciences in their face. He just wouldn't eat meat. And he did all this for the gospel's sake. And then fifthly, verse 22, 23, he lived out the gospel. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. He lived out the gospel, you guys. His life was the gospel in his preaching, in his teaching, in his lifestyle, in his imitation of Jesus. It was nothing but the gospel. That's the only thing that mattered. It's like Billy Graham. He taught and preached nothing but the gospel. And that was his life. That's what it was all about. And yet we'll look at someone like that and say, yeah, that's what he was supposed to do. I, I don't read that in scripture. Maybe we're not an evangelist per se, like him in that regard. But like I said, I can tell people that I once was lost, but now I'm found. And I'm blind, but now I see all because of Jesus. So he, he would set aside anything that would hinder the, the power of the gospel and its effectiveness. He lived it out in front of them, all to win the loss. Now, number two, moving on, he was running to win the prize. Verse 24. Verse 24. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. So cool. Paul now uses a very familiar example to show them what it takes to win the lost in the context of running to win the prize. Now, he's referring to the two athletic events that took place there in Greece. One in Athens, which was the Olympics, of course. And then where they were in Corinth was the Isthmian Games. Now, these two festivals, of course, the prize for winning back then was a crown. Now, a little cheap compared to what they win nowadays, but it was a wreath, pine wreath, given to the winner. But it still represented fame and fortune and life as a hero, the winner's immortalized, kind of like the Olympics of today. And the Olympic gold medal today is worth what? It's worth bucks. The, the medal itself isn't that much money, but what it represents, you win a gold, and, and you pretty much got, got yourself taken care of for life. You know Michael Phillips, Phillips right? How many gold medals does he have? 20, 23, something like that? You know, that kid is 31 years old, and he has a net worth, the estimate, at $51 million for swimming, for swimming, 31-year-old kid. That's just now. Anyhow, so a lot of money for that kind of thing. But the, the crown that they got, though, was perishable, of course, eventually dry up and become brittle. The crown that Paul was talking about was this imperishable or incorruptible crown. It was the crown of righteousness, like I said earlier, that we're going to receive when we stand before Jesus, as he's telling Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Man, I'm going to receive that crown, and everyone else is going to get that crown also. Those who loved his appearing can't wait. And his crown was the saving of souls. That was Paul's chief calling, right? Remember for Max, And many believe also the crown was salvation which was Paul's chief goal. As he said in Philippians three fourteen, I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that which we are all running for. So he's running to win this prize. And how are we supposed to, to run? He says it right here. You got to run all out. Run in such a way that you may obtain it, he says there in verse 24. So what does that mean? It means we're not running for second. We're not running for third. We're running to win, running to obtain this thing. We're giving it everything we got till our dying breath. Nothing left over, not tapping out, not pulling up short. You're giving it every single thing you got as if you were a man that was going down and you were drowning. And you're going to fight to your last breath. Right? Kind of like in Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, we already know who's going to win, so it's kind of a bummer. But Patriots... Falcons, they get out there, though. That saying goes, they're going to leave it all out on the field. And there will be those who will literally be sacrificing their bodies, life and limb, to win that game. I'm serious. You know it. I mean, anything and everything short of allowing their necks to get broken, they're going to give it all. That's the idea here. They ran all out. you were supposed to run all out for that prize. And then also they ran with self-control. He says they run, they compete for the prize. They're temperate in all things. And this word temperate means self-control. They ran with self-control. Speaks of exercising self-restraint over ourselves. And back in those games there, they had to train for 10 months before they could even compete in the games. It was a requirement. And no doubt nowadays in the Olympics, they're doing it anyhow, but it was one of those things that, no, you're not even going to get in unless you can prove that you've been training for the last 10 months. Proof. Self-controlled. They had to train hard, of course, eat right. They were from anything that would hinder them from running their fastest. And for us, how it applies to us, we gotta say no to the flesh, to the devil, to the world, anything. Anything. And of course, in Hebrews, what does it say that we're to run this race with endurance, laying aside, setting aside any weight or any sin which so easily entangles us? Gotta run all out, and we gotta run with self control to win, to win the prize. And then thirdly, he says here, running to win the race in verse 26. Paul gives us insight on what he did himself in order to win this race and ultimately receive the prize. He says here, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified or become unfit. Paul says, hey, man, run. run to win the race, you guys. Not only just the loss, not only just the prize, but run to win this race, giving insight of what he did. How did Paul run? Number one, he ran focused on the prize. He says, not with uncertainty, but with purpose. Absolutely tuned in. He wanted to win. It's like Usain Bolt, fastest man on the planet, when he takes off, what does he have in view? He's only got one thing. One thing he's looking at. He's looking at the tape. He sees the tape. Even if he can't see it, he's in the longer runs. He, he's focused on it. Until, of course, he knows he's winning so much, and then he's just waving to the crowd. He's like, hey. <laughs> Cheesy grin of his. Focused. Totally focused. Not with uncertainty, but with purpose. Not as one who beats the air, In essence, not wasting my time. He mixes up the metaphors here, but they mean the same thing. He ran, letting nothing deter or distract him from this race. Like an Olympic athlete would, focused on winning, nothing else mattered, nothing. we got to do the same in our race. But what happens, of course, is that we are distracted. We are taken off course. Our flesh, the world, the things that we're going after, the things of this world, keeping us from really even competing in the race. We disqualify ourselves so easily, getting caught up. But he also he ran with discipline. Paul speaks of really, I I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. This word here, discipline, really means to beat his body. Literally means to give himself a black eye. Kind of crazy, huh? But that's what he would do. And, And really what Paul does, he made his body a slave to his spirit. He had had the priority right. And yet, sad to say, most of us, we're slaves to our bodies, aren't we? It's whatever they want, whatever they need, they get. And it's a challenge for us. But he he ran focused, he ran not letting nothing deter him, he ran with discipline, totally, totally. And of course, this discipline means to turn away from the fleshly lust, to not give in the temptations, means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit full control. And of course, this would keep us from becoming disqualified or unfit, as the word is better described, unable to finish. If you can't finish the race, you're certainly not going to win. Unable to win and unable to win or receive the prize. Paul was so concerned, I'm preaching, I'm preaching, I'm preaching, and that if he did something himself, that would cause him to be disqualified. And a lot of what he's speaking about, the context here, is, is him kind of hindering or causing some person to not come to Christ by his behavior, by his actions. Paul was so concerned, it didn't matter. I'm not doing it if it's affecting somebody else's salvation. So, some application for us tonight as we close up here. I always love to throw in some application. Is your witness hindered by the Pharisee syndrome? We'll throw that out there. Think about that. It's something to ponder. See? You say to yourself, I'm better than these heathens. I know it, and they know it. And we can walk around with an air about us. And sad to say, a lot of times it's even unintentional. Because you you, you, you know, in essence, as a Christian believer, a lot of times, I mean, God fixes you up and cleans you up. And, and you know what? Things in your life are going better. And the person next to you, their life's a disaster. But your life was a disaster just, you know, a year ago. They don't know that. They so look at you like, oh, you Christians, you think you're all perfect, right? You ever heard that before? But... Do you play the priest or the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan? I want the tough one. Because remember, it was the Good Samaritan who went, and the Samaritan, compared to the priest or Levite, was the lower class folks. And yet he was the one who went to the person that was injured on the side of the road, had gotten beat up by the robbers. What's the priest do? <laughs> Touching that guy. I'm not even supposed to get close. It's unclean type of a deal. Levite did the same thing. Sad. Number 2, what are you willing to do for the gospel's sake? What are you willing to do? Deny yourself, your flesh, your desires or going back to what Paul said, are you willing to become a servant to that person that you just wish would fall off to the end of the earth? Servant, powerful witness when you serve somebody and you serve them in sincerity. What are you willing to do, though, for the gospel's sake? Thirdly, what race are you running in? What race are you running in? The race for heaven or the race for this world? Are you running so much, I'm going to get everything I can in this life. I'm building bigger barns. I'm storing up treasure, man. I got it made. I got so much I'm ready to do. I could last till I'm like 95 years old and you die in two years. It's it's all gone. See, Jesus said that you're either for me or against me. You're either running the race for him or you're running the race for the world. There's there's no in between. Either one or the other when you think about it. And it's interesting when in the Olympics, you know, they, they all get their uniforms and to wear the uniform for your country, I guess that's one of the greatest things to parade around. I'm running for USA. You want to be so identified with your country, so proud of, of what you're doing, what you're running for. No question what country you're running for, right? By the way, I, I love the Jamaican uniforms. Those things are cool looking, aren't they? Colors, so cool. Americans, this, this time, wasn't they weren't that, they weren't that good. But the question is, can people tell that you're running for Jesus? Can people tell you're running for Jesus? Or do they think, man, you're running, you're running for, for the world. We can tell. We can see it. Number four, what are you running for? Are you running that you might save the lost? Or are you more concerned about yourself and all that this world has offered for you? That's, that's, that's something you got to think about. And lastly, how is your race going tonight? Are you, are you running strong? Running with endurance? Things going well? Got your eyes on the prize? Ready for that call? Ready for the rapture? Ready for him to, to take us out of here? Because you know that you've stored up so much treasure in heaven. You're, when you get there, man, bam. You're going to get that crown. That crown of righteousness the imperishable crown or are you like well you know what i i need to get working on this thing cuz i got more treasure down here than i have up there you've all heard the story about that real rich lady who got saved but then she gets she dies she goes to heaven and she meets peter there at the gates i know you've heard the story but it's still a fun story to talk about she gets there and she can't wait to see her mansion she can't wait to see this thing it's going to be big as heaven you know, because she was so rich down here on earth, and she had so much here on earth. And she, of course, what am I going to have in heaven, right? So she's walking with Peter, and they're walking through. He's going to take her to his, her mansion, right? They're walking along, and she comes to this real nice, cool-looking place, kind of like a spot in Aspen, you know, real beautiful. Hey, is that it? Oh, no, no, that, that's, that's, uh, that was your maids. That's your maids right there. What? My maid got that? Yeah. that means money. Oh, she's walking along, going in, and she, comes another one. Oh, look at this one! He goes, "Oh no, that's that's your gardeners, my gardeners." Oh, this is I'm Peter. I'm so excited! I can't wait to see what's going. Mine's going to be so big. As they're walking down, they get the end of the road there, and there's this little old, almost like a cardboard shack. <laughs> and I know you just love this story. So. And she, Pete, walks up and says, "Here it is." He's like, "What are you talking about? A cardboard shack?" And what does he say? I did the best with what you sent up. See, she wasn't running to win the the imperishable crown. She was running to win the stuff here in the earth. And so tonight, as as you ponder your own life and where you're at with this Christian walk of yours, and mine as well, because I'm just as convicted as you are, man, what are we doing with what we got what are we doing with this God that we sing about that he is good, good, so good? And, and the fact that your lives are so much better than what they were, and yet you see people, that's enough for me It's like, oh, my gosh, I, I feel so bad for people who have so missed it. And, and of course, that's, that's a, a motivation to tell them about Jesus and what he can do in your life. And it's an amazing thing. It's miraculous what he can do. And it's real and it's true. It's not fake. It's not a fairy tale. It's not some kind of made-up book thing. It's real. But we got to get out and we got to tell people and share the love of Jesus. And, and, and not only for their lives to be changed here on earth, but ultimately that their life would be set up, their, their crown would be awaiting them and they would spend eternity with heaven with you and I. Because there's only two places where we're going, or where you're going, or where they're going. Am I right? It's what the Bible says. We didn't make it up. We didn't write it. It's clear. You're going to spend eternity in hell, or you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Because spiritually, you're not dying. It's just where you're going to end up. Amen. So, I hope no condemnation, just exhortation to get up, get out. Because honestly, I'll say this with our new Trump, our, our new president, <laughs> who knows what tomorrow is going to bring? Yeah, I don't know. I'm telling you what, you just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So, we got to be ready. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for. Lord, what we know and, and why you included these things in the Bible. Stories of men, Lord, women who, who gave everything for you. Who knew how serious this, this call was and, and what was at stake. And we thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Lord, for saving him. Thank you, Lord, for inspiring him to write to teach, to encourage, to exhort. And Lord, I pray that we would receive from you tonight, Lord, this, um, this challenge, this, this passion, this desire that you came and you died and you bled for, that you are even praying for right now. And Lord, tonight we pray that if there are any here tonight who, who happen to come in and, and who does, doesn't know this, God, doesn't know that they're going to heaven and, and wants to be able to say that, that you're good, but they don't know you. Pray tonight that they wouldn't leave here without asking you, Lord, to forgive them of their sins and to come into their life and take over their lives and, and to call upon you to help them, to change them, to give them the power to turn away from the things of this world and that which may be destroyed in their lives, Lord. And God, we know that you will come in like a flood and you will bless them. And you'll save them and you'll change their lives, Lord. And they could leave even tonight singing that you are good. Blessed, Lord, we pray. Continue to strengthen us as we walk this walk. uh, Really, truly not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. We got it all planned out for weeks and months and years to come. And yet, Lord, only you know the day. And maybe the day that, Lord, you're going to come and take us all anyhow. So, Lord, inspire us to get out, to share the love of Jesus any way we can, even if it's a simple T-shirt that we wear. So, Father, bless. we pray, strengthen this body, send us out as soldiers, as an army, to, to just save this whole South Bay, Lord, we pray. Bless we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. amen.